everybody. Welcome to the final episode of the first season of The Matchup, a storytelling podcast from St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, where you, the listener, gets to decide who told the most compelling story. I'm your host, Jason, and today we get to welcome back the Reverend Nick Van Horn. Hello, Nicholas. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. I would just like to say that even though this is the final, it's not really like the climax. It's more of the epilogue of the season, let's <laughs> yeah. be honest, right? It's fair. It's fair. Uh, yeah. Um, the last episode that came out was about a mysterious murderer in a church in the Midwest, so it was pretty dramatic. Oh, so, whoa, yeah. nice. Yeah, it was good. It was a good episode. Oh, man. And the victim was John Shields, yeah. who's been a ghost here for years. <laughs> <laughs> Every so often, he changes cures. <laughs> and making his second appearance here the is... good citizens of Winston-Salem <laughs> solve the mystery. Hello, Reverend Daniel Strandlin. How are you? I'm great. It's good, good. to be back. You get to your your second appearance is the like that what do we call it the epilogue episode yeah, of it, season it, the one epilogue it's, episode it's yeah the, that's pretty cool it's the Spider Man Far From Home of Phase Three if, okay. if you will it's, <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is no end game <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, yeah there's no yeah no end game so we are in the season of Easter which correct me if I'm wrong clergy technically begins at the Easter Vigil and ends in Pentecost. That'd yeah, I mean, yeah, first first Easter service. Um, in terms of like what the moment is in the Easter vigil, I don't I don't actually know. The first Hallelujah might be maybe. Yeah. I, I think it's the proclamation of the celebrant to to say that Hallelujah Christ is risen. I think that's the moment. They're in Easter. I, it, it's yeah. yes. something like that. Start sure. your watches. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. main thing being that Start, there's a there's actually a people season. People pull out their stickers and they're like, "Oh, the candy is on." Back from the Hallelujah. grave. <laughs> Ring <Yeah>. those bells. <laughs> <laughs> the main point being that we're actually in a season of Easter yeah. that um, ends with uh, kind of with Pentecost, which is sort of the beginning of summer. Um, and since it's the season of Easter, today's theme is the most interesting person from Holy Week in Easter. Did either of you have a hard time with your picks? I had, so my gut instinct was like, it's like when you're a kid and you're in Sunday school, mm. like the teacher could say, what's green and hops and eats bugs? Jesus. Yeah. It's, it's Sunday school. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, sounds like a frog, but the answer is Jesus. And, yeah. it, and like, I was like, okay, I think, I think this is actually objectively true for Holy Week though. Like who's the most interesting person? Maybe the person who gets crucified and comes back from right. the dead. But I'm not going to pick that. <laughs> that should have been like the caveat, like the most interesting, yeah. not, not Jesus. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought about that, actually. When people ask me, they're like, oh, you know, which one do you do with Daniel? I said the most interesting for everybody. Jesus, right? right. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, like, the, the second most interesting person from Holy Week is sort of how I'm interpreting. I don't know about that's fair. Kind Brother of like, Van Horn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's gonna say Jesus. I know. It. Uh-huh. No, and then I would have had to have a conversation. I would have been like, "Look, no. and then I'm gonna have to concede again." Like, I did yeah, when I that's was, not fair. When I was debating with Lucy. Um, in each episode, our two guests will present their case. We'll talk a little about it, and after the episode, you'll vote on who told the most compelling story. I'm the only person who knows what story each person is going to tell and who will go first. Reverend, Reverend Strandlin, would you like to go first today? Oh well, sure. Go for it. Take it away. Um, okay, so uh, my I, I'm going to say that the most interesting person, after Jesus, of course, after in Jesus. Holy Week, is Joseph of Arimathea. Okay, mm. but I want to but I want to sort of like narrow that some because Joseph is one of the figures who, depending on which gospel you're reading, is very very different. Mm. Mm. So in Matthew, it's very clear that Joseph is a rich guy from Arimathea, but that he's also a disciple of Jesus. Mm. So getting that sort of announced up front 
colors a lot. So I'm so when I say Joseph of Arimathea, I really mean Holy Week like year B when we're reading yeah. Mark. <laughs> and I know we're going to adjust the glasses and we're just going to in the nerd waters already. So Joseph of Arimathea, specifically how Mark okay. talks about it. To, to, um, Mark's the oldest gospel, so that's sort of how I'm justifying okay. that to some extent. Oh my um, gosh, I'm so going to do the same thing. So good yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah. We're going to have a So Joseph of Arimathea, is uh, he doesn't appear a lot in Mark's gospel. It's not until... Uh, we're in Jerusalem, and I, th- um, he's, I, think, I don't think he's mentioned by name until chapter 15, but he's, sort of, he's present as early as chapter 14. Yeah. Um, had a, look, I've got notes in my lap. That's what I was, you know, <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Um, so uh, the thing that we, where he is most apparent is he's the one who goes to Pilate and asks for Jesus' body, takes it down from the cross, wraps it pretty simply, and places it in the tomb. There's no yeah. burial rites. There's no funeral, but he does go to Pilate which one would imagine is not a thing that any, any member of the council is really wanting to do, yeah. gets the body of Jesus, and there's at least a minimum of dignity there, I think. That's sort of how I read it. Um, however, um, before that, when we're in chapter 14, it, Mark makes it very clear that the entire council is looking for a way to contempt Jesus. It's clear that Joseph of Arimathea is a part of the council. So when Mark says the whole council is trying to condemn Jesus... Or, or, or is um, looking for a way to, to condemn Jesus, one would assume that that includes Joseph of Arimathea. Mm. But he's also the one who, uh, in, in chapter 15, takes Jesus' body down, and it says that he's waiting patiently for the kingdom of God. So we have these very conflicting things. He's part of the council that condemns Jesus somehow, He's waiting for the kingdom of God, which seems like a good thing, and he's yeah. the one who treats Jesus' body with, a, with sort of a minimum of dignity. So there, there's some, there's, there's, he's, a complicated, he's a complicated figure, therefore. Mm. Um, what I find interesting is what did Joseph say when he was in the room with the council? Mm. Did he actively push to have Jesus handed over and killed? Did he tacitly consent to that by not saying anything? Did he give sort of a minimal counter-argument and then abstain when it came time to vote or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, depending on how you answer those three questions, how you understand his taking Jesus' body down from the cross changes a great deal. Mm-hmm. What's his motive for that? Is it a practical kind of thing. This was a nasty bit of necessary political business. Let's get the body out of here, out of sight before there's more trouble. Or is he filled with remorse and wants to find some minimally salvific act by which he can participate in his own redemption? You know, mm. is he just cut to the core is like, oh my God, what did we just do? We, we don't know. That's one of the things I, th- I think he's one of the most interesting figures because of, because of all of that, um, all that ambiguity. What the, the other layer here is that when Mark tells us that he's waiting patiently for the kingdom of God, I think that that is Mark's way of saying that regardless of what Joseph of Arimathea did, he did have good intentions. Hmm. I, think, I, mean, I, think, I think that's the thing that we are sort of obliged to say of Joseph of Arimathea, even if his good intentions led him to either actively push for Jesus' condemnation, to tacitly accept hmm. it, or to offer the minimum level of resistance and then just sort of abstain or whatever. Um, I think I think it's easy for us 21st century Christians to sort of read the crucifixion accounts and just basically turn Caiaphas and the elders and everybody into like 
like Sauron or something. Just like cartoon evil. Like these yeah. are wicked orcs who came from the you know goblin center of the like that's that's just not true. Yeah. Um, there's there's a lot of really problematic ways or re- really major problems with reading it that way. Um, but another one is is that in, in other gospels at least that makes it clear that like there's um, the council is also part of the occupied people. They are leaders of an occupied people, and the council has people above them, i.e. Pilate and Rome. And I think it's a reasonable conclusion that whatever they're doing in condemning Jesus, they think that that is the thing that's going to save the most lives of their countrymen. Mm-hmm. I think that's a reasonable conclusion. Um, again, you know, road to hell is paved with good intentions, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Um, and it, so, so it may be that, like, because of the ends of trying to prevent a riot and having a bunch of ro- the Roman goon, goon squad come in and just kill everybody, um, in order to do that, they're going to, well, we're going to hand over this, this rebel leader. Um, it may be that nobody on the council was excited about that or glad about it. They just felt it was a, a grim, necessary thing. Um, so assuming that Joseph of Arimathea consents to Jesus' condemnation by virtue of being a member of the council, and Mark tells us that it was the whole council that's doing this, even then, I think his, at the very least his intentions in his mind at the time are probably, he probably thinks they're good, mm. um, pragmatic at least. Um, and... I think that's, you know, one of the worst kinds of remorse is like, my intention was X. Well, the intent of our actions never outweighs the impact of our actions, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the, so the first time I sort of uh, connected with Joseph of Arimathea on any kind of substantial level was, was actually the last time it was year B, which was 2021, which is like, we're deep in the pandemic. Deep in the pandemic. And it's like, but we've also like had like glimmers of like, oh, it's lightening up a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, we've mastered that, Zoom. At exactly. This point. You know, it's like, well, I, I, I played basketball without a mask, <laughs> yeah. you know, because I'm brave, you know, or, or <laughs> yeah. you know, or what, whatever our self-talk was. Um, <laughs> but, I, but I remember the difficulty of just being a priest, especially the priest who was organizationally in charge of a congregation at that time. It's it's like you make the best decision that you can with the best intentions and you have no idea what it's going to do to the body of Christ. Yeah. Hmm. Like, are the decisions that I'm making in this room with these other leaders, are these crucifying decisions? Yeah. And we just don't know. Yeah. Because you don't know what's going to happen. You just don't know. Best of intentions, you're trying to safeguard the literal safety of people, much like Joseph of Arimathea and his colleagues on the council would have been. But you also don't know what impact on the body of Christ you're going to have. Um sacramentally, spiritually, literally, like it was such a weird time because we were, you know, we're pastors, we're responsible for the literal physical safety to a certain extent of the people under our care. And also we're charged with their spiritual health, which requires in the Episcopal understanding, sacramental practice. Yeah. And literally all the sacraments require close physical proximity to another body. (laughs) Yeah. It's like during, during the season of like nothing but morning prayer on Zoom, like my internal is like, well, welcome, welcome to your obsolescence. Yeah, <laughs> you know? it's like you don't need a priest to do any of the things I'm doing right now. Right. Um, so anyway, so that was the first time I sort of connected with Joseph of Arimathea. It was like he was somebody who was in the room where the decision was getting made. Just like when it comes to what the church does, clergy are usually in the room where the decision is getting made. Yeah. And just like Joseph of Arimathea, we had the best of intentions, and none of us really knew what these decisions were going to do to the to the body of Christ. We don't know if they were the right ones or the wrong ones. Still don't know if they were the right or the wrong ones. They were made faithfully, yeah. And I, and you know, I have 
trust and hope and, you know, believe that God will redeem, God redeems our best efforts, you know? Um, and so when you fast forward to Jesus, I mean, to Joseph taking the body of Jesus down from the cross, what's going through his mind? Mm-hmm. Is it, what did I do? I did the best I could. Or is it, you know, what, you know, what is it? Yeah. I d- don't know. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a long Saturday from Friday afternoon yeah. until Sunday morning. So I think it's one of the really great things about the Bible is that they don't tell us. What yeah. They leave. I love those nuances. And you can, and you can feel, and you can sort of feel the, the, the questions emerge. So like, and what the gap between when Mark is written and Matthew is written, clearly there was somebody somewhere that said, I'm not okay with how nebulous of a figure Joseph of Arimathea mm-hmm. is. We know his name, which means that he was clearly important in some way. So by the time Matthew is written down, it's like he's a disciple of Jesus and he's basically a good guy. Mm, interesting. And there's no there's no real question about yeah. that. I don't I don't think when you by the time you get to Matthew, yeah, there's a lot of examples for that too. Yeah, Mark but in but in Mark it's like in Mark it's like we just don't know. Yeah, we know that he was respected. He was on the council and that uh, he's means well if he's waiting for the kingdom. I, I think we have to arrive at that. Yeah, and he's the he's the one who sort of goes to Pilate, takes some risk there, and gives at least a minimum of dignity to Jesus's body, even though there's no full funeral rite or anything that yeah. we're aware of. Hmm. So, so I, I don't know. I just think, I think he's super interesting because it's like, we, we just don't, we just don't know. That's great. And there's probably some other whole other bag of possibilities that are unrelated to any of the stuff that I just said, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know? <laughs> um, but that, that fact that we don't know, it gives us the opportunity like you did in mm-hmm. 2021 to find yeah. connection points, which I think is cool. Awesome. Yeah, well, I, I mean, that'll preach, definitely. And, and Daniel, what I appreciate about how you share that is, like a good writer, is you're sharing yourself in that. Like, you're, mm. you're, you're, you're shared with us your journey with that and why that connected with you in such a yeah. way as, yeah. as a pastor, as a leader. And, and uh, that ambiguity, and, and uh, I mean, we all lived through that. Like, are we making the right decisions God, all yeah. the time? Mm. Or if there were decisions that we couldn't make because yeah. we're part of an episcopacy, like, you know... Um, yeah, yeah. You know, and there are decisions out of our hands, and we have to fulfill them. And it's like, right. are those the right ones? We're all coming from different things. And we want to keep our, our parish safe, but risk is also a virtue of who we are as disciples of Christ. I mean, there was all of those things yeah. lifted up, so... yeah. My point is, I appreciate your your perspective on Thanks, that. Thanks, man. It's really good. Yeah, you win. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> did, um, did you consider Joseph of Arimathea? Uh, oh yeah, he's definitely one yeah. of the most fascinating people. I, he probably would have been two or three for me after Jesus. Um, so, <laughs> Always after so, Jesus. So my point is, that's what I'm going to do as well. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, I never thought of it that way, but it, it will preach for most people because even not just as church leaders, but as as parents, as yeah. As, as spouses, like, are we making all these decisions for that? Mm-hmm. Anybody who has agency that impacts other people's lives. Exactly, basically. exactly. And, and I think the only thing we can conclude with this is that our agency is limited in the grand scheme of things, right? Is And, yeah. and not to sound for the risk of being too providential, but it still worked out the way it did, you know, yeah. ultimately, right? Right. Um, well, and also sort of the flip side of that, of, like, the immense responsibility of being present is also hugely impactful, you know, However, Joseph responded in that council. We don't know, but he just the fact that he was there and he was part of this decision making had a huge impact on the whole story, which is interesting. I mean, mm-hmm. when you're like in the thick of it, just trying to figure out how you're going to live stream that Sunday, you may not even realize the implications of you know you're really trying to like bring God to people in a new way that you'd have no idea how. And people in the past have never had to do it in this way, so it's interesting. Yeah, and it's like and the fact that like we still know his name. Yeah, you know, like there was something. Yeah. yeah something particular 
particularly significant about what he was doing, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, it's like mm. like the, like the people in the Nicene Creed whose names we get other than Jesus are Mary and Pilate. Yeah. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. interesting. Um, and and I, I also appreciate the ambiguity of the good versus evil, the cartoon esque, yeah, you yeah, know, perspective, and like how it's it's much more complicated and nuanced than that. And so one of the risks we have is injecting ourselves into these stories. Yeah, and when you create it in that more ambiguous way, it makes it harder for people to do that, you know, and, and just to put people on this side and this side. Yeah, yeah. there were no orcs at the crucifixion. Yeah. Like, there what were a great beings. title of a chapter, you know. <laughs> as, you, as you work on your uh, PhD yeah. work, yeah. That's yeah. there were no But it orcs. has to have an illustration. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. It, it just teaches humility in that sense, if you're going to yeah. look at it from that perspective of, oh, these were the bad guys, these were the good guys. I would have totally been here, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Inject yeah. ourselves historically I mean, it's like it's anyway. important, like, in the, in the, one, of the, one of the ways of doing Good Friday is that during the Passion narrative, it's and Palm Sunday, I guess, is that it's the congregation that stands up and yells, "Crucify yeah. him!" Yes, it's because this we don't get to pass this buck, right? You know, like yeah, yeah. there were no orcs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, Nick, who'd you pick? Um, well, thematically, it works really well because so uh, the one I picked was the Centurion. Mm. Uh, which to me is one of the more interesting ones because yep. uh, it happens at the very end of the story after after all these things, you know. And much like Daniel is, I appreciate his perspective in Mark too. Uh, maybe I'm a little uh, uh, less objective because I, I appreciate Mark more than I think it's my favorite gospel um, personally. Uh, so there's a little different, couple different nuances. But what I appreciate about it is kind of going back to this nuance of is there are no orcs, is here we have a story where Jesus is denied, he's ignored, uh, and and he uh, he's betrayed. And then at the very end, you get the truth from the person who socially is not supposed to be the one who gives the truth, mm. right? Um, and I always loved that because it, it's a really good entry uh position to look at it from the sense of humility and kind of what we were talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, he's the exact opposite of what it, what it would be. Um, to kind of in, inject uh, the idea of Mark, there's a couple little differences that, that they have is with with Matthew is, again, he likes to clean it up a little bit, but with Matthew, he, he emphasizes right before he, he, he um, the centurion comes and he says, truly this man is the son of God, which I, I want to exegete just a little bit, is... Um, they talk about all the different natural disasters that happen at that moment, right? Yeah. Um, and for Matthew, Matthew always wants to hearken back to the the Jewish prophecy. And this so is right after Jesus dies. Yes, yes. And so you know the. It, there's no specific reason why he uses earthquakes, which is which is unique to Matthew. Some people say it alludes back to the earthquakes with Moses, things like that. But when you read it that way, it's like in addition to why the centurion would have came, came to this conclusion, like this natural disaster, oh, it would have been that. And it takes away from the intimate moment that the centurion actually has with Christ that it is in Mark. Um, the other reason why I didn't like Luke so much is, is what he says is different is he says, rather than he's uh, saying, truly, this is the this man is the son of God, he says, um, certainly this man was innocent. Mm. Uh, the word actually is righteous. So he's saying he is righteous in that. So mm-hmm. so we could have that conversation as well. But but Mark is older, so I think there needs to have a little bit of weight to it. He says there, this man is the son of God or this, the son of a God. Um, because we can't assume that the centurion would have looked at it from the same mm. monotheistic perspective that somebody who followed Christ would. So if you translate it into a God, um, it would basically what he's doing is he he's comparing uh, the validity of Christ to like Augustus. 
is he he is having that divinity that they believe that their leader would have. Yeah. So regardless of how you look at it, he's looking at it from a divine sense. And, and the only reason why I say that is because that's the first pushback a lot of uh, scholars would, would want to give um, to play devil's advocate in what he is actually saying here. So okay. I think that's important to say. But if you want to take it for what it is, is this man is the son of God or a God, he has seen something, he has witnessed something that these others have not. And it just harkens back to um, the ones who you expect the least are the ones who sometimes see the full divineness of God's work in the world. Hmm. And I've always loved that. I've always appreciated that. And it humbles us, you know. Um, The disciples don't get it. I mean, they're not the sharpest tools in the shed. You know, I mean, Peter is kind of a, you know, a goof. And they're (laughs) kind of like freaking out right this moment. Yeah. And they're freaking the flip out right now. And and so you have all this denial and, and doubt about what's going to happen, especially if you're just hearing the story for the first time, you know, 1900 years ago, 2000 years ago. And then you have this moment that is just taken out of all of this darkness saying this man who represents the body and, you know, the institution in which is totally against not only the Jewish people, but Christ, he sees Christ. And in that moment, he sees something that the others did not see. Hmm. And so there's a reason why, regardless of how you translate it, it is in all three synoptic gospels. And so that is always connected with me and the humility of that to remind ourselves that, you know, our when it comes to our walk with Christ, it, it is a spectrum in and of itself. Hmm. Is we feel close and we understand sometimes. We're like Peter, where we want to do stupid things like cut off an ear for no reason. <laughs> you know, like that's gonna do something. Or sometimes we're just the least expected person. That resonated with me, Daniel. I don't know about you, but as I took the journey for ordination, mm-hmm. is because there is, even though it's not worthiness, it's a call, there's still that voice in your head saying, am I really the one who's supposed to be doing this? Am I mm-hmm. really the one who is called to be a steward of this? Um, which is probably why it took me till I was 39 to get ordained, because I fought that for so long because of that. Mm. And it, uh, it harkens back to the centurion. There's this empathy factor of if the centurion can see Christ at this moment that nobody else can, the one who can't, maybe I can too. Mm. And that's always been kind of a, a, a crux for me in my, in my journey towards towards ministry mm. and stuff. So that's why why when you, when you asked uh, to do this one, the centurion popped out for me okay. right away. Cool. Yeah, and it, so like Nick, to your point, like if the centurion can see, and, the, and the, so like in the way that you're reading it, if the centurion can see Jesus like this, maybe I can too, and and then like what is the centurion's life like after mm. that? Who we knows? Don't know. We you don't know. know. It's like there's all right. these, especially in Mark, there's all these things that are just sort of left hanging. Like, does yeah. everything change? Is yeah. there amendment of life? But um, at that moment, there's the moment of truth, right? It bleeds in, right? Sure. Yeah. So so the is the, is Mark. We have the ripping of the curtain. Is there? Is that? Does Mark have like the darkness over the land and stuff? I can't remember. He has the ripping in the curtain, but it's yeah. It says the curtain of the temple is torn into, which is very big for Mark. Matthew has that too, but Matthew is the one where it has the rock split, the darkness, and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. There, so yeah, he has okay. all the natural mm-hmm. uh, disasters that happen at that moment. Mm. So, so that I don't know. I don't know which. I think I think Nick's. I think I like the way Nick reads it better. Then, so, so what I'm thinking of is, um, in seminary, we were doing it. We were doing a deep dive on Mark and just sort of like learning a lot about Rome and just like, there aren't any orcs, but man, <laughs> Rome also sucks. <laughs> you know, there might be some goblins. Uh, yeah, 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 right. yeah, half yeah. orcs. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and 
Um, and like the way, the sort of the level of like mockery of Jesus as a king, like they put the, the mm. robe on him and they strike him and stuff. Like mm. if you if you let that sort of be the dominant lens through which you read the crucifixion thing, then you can read the centurion as like it's, it's like a, a scoff. Yeah. yeah. You know, truly this sure. man was God. And it's like, I don't know, like, th- like there's some reasons that that makes sense, but there's something compelling about like, oh my God, what? whoa, like what just, something just happened, sure. you know? Yeah. Like, because um, it's also, it's like, like as Nick said, like Peter and the, like they've sort of scattered. And it's like the centurion is the one who's actually there looking at this, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. It's not, it's not James or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm also interested in the, I, the, that idea of if it's a God or God, because. Yeah, I'd never thought about that before, the, thinking about. Yeah, yeah of that, course he wouldn't have a, a monotheistic worldview. But yeah. it's sort of like, like if it's like starting a preview to the next part of his story, it's like him in his world trying to understand this other world, and he's he's like he's like this. And I in my life, I know that these people who are sons of gods are really important because that's my life and that's my world. And I'm starting to make these connections all of a sudden between what I know and what I'm seeing, and it's creating something that like. It like has another opening, another nuance where later things can go on. Who knows what happens to that yeah. guy? And, there, cool. and there's a kernel of truth in that. Right? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Now, I, I appreciate you saying that, too, because you can look at it as a scoff, right? But the truth still lingers in the scoff, scoffing, right? Yeah, and yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I always appreciate yeah. about the crucifixion is when they when they put that INRI and they give him the crown, I'm like, they're speaking the truth and yeah. they don't even mm. know it, yeah. you know, which is genius, you know, uh, and, I, and I love that. But... But I've always, for some reason, looked at it in this way at, the, at this vulnerable moment that I don't, I don't believe that the writer's intention was to have it as a scoff at this at this moment. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, listen, I, I'm no biblical scholar. You know, I'm a priest in North Carolina. Um, but but as, as I read it, but you can look at it that way too. But but well, I still think there's still truth in that, right? And, and there's like, so so going back, so earlier we were talking about how like so Mark is I, I've got a little bit of a. I like John a lot too, but like, sure. I'm, yeah. I'm, as far as the synoptics, I'm with you, man. Mark, yeah, the best. Mark's the stuff, <laughs> man. He just if, gets if you to sort the of point. read, if you like, sort of read the like, can, like the canon and, and sort of like how it forms. So by the time you get to Luke, there are suggestions that like, oh, maybe this is for Romans too. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and so like, I think it's one reason I think I, I like Nick's. I think I like Nick's reading, because when you sort of look at. Uh, the arc of some of the changes that happen in the church in the in the first century, it makes more sense for the centurion to have a moment of, oh, maybe there was something mm. to this, mm. you know? Yeah. Because um, as as it, as Christianity spreads across the Mediterranean, you start asking different kinds of questions, yeah. and people like centurions at a certain point are no longer that sort of weird to find hanging around the Jesus folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what I appreciate about Mark, and John does this too, but Mark does not like to bury the lead. There's nothing mm. about that. He is like, this is how it is. This is how it is. Let's move to the next scene, you know, yeah. which is very much how I, 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 I appreciate anyway. But the first statement that Mark says is in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's already assuming that. Mm-hmm. And he caps it off with the centurion saying, truly this man is the Son of God, going back to the all, thesis of the entire yeah. gospel, right? Yeah. Uh, Mark is such a tactician. I mean, I, I really mm-hmm. appreciate. So you guys all got you. Mark posters above your beds. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but it's of Mark Audrey Graves. It's, oh, okay. it's, it's a very, yeah. uh, very different Mark. And let's be honest: after Jesus, the real most interesting person of Holy Week 
is Mark Audrey Graves. It's very true. He's very interesting. <laughs> He's going to appreciate that. Most, or we could say the other 51 weeks a year. There we go. It's Mark, it's Mark Audrey Graves. <laughs> I, I had a revelation about, well, let's talk about Mark for a minute. Yeah. Uh, Mark Audrey Graves, not the gospel. Uh, I was telling Sarah is uh, during the vigil he, he was conducting, and he's so unorthodox in conducting. I love watching him. You need to watch it next time. It is like watching Doctor Strange cast a spell. <laughs> like awesome. how he oh, does yeah. it. He's going like this. And so, it's amazing. <laughs> he's so he sparks. Is, he's the most interesting person in, in, in the uh, Congratulations, Mark Roger Graves. I think you know. I think we agree. I think Nick and I have come to an accord. Uh, we're done. <laughs> the most interesting person. <laughs> oh, he's going to be so I happy that that's here. the end point of the season. <laughs> is Mark Audrey Graves? The entire season culminates. That, there's where, the, where, what could season two possibly arrive exactly. at? This is the Avengers Assemble moment. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Audrey Graves is the Voltron of all of all Christian all. virtue. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. He's like, get yeah. out of my office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And on that note, the cases have been presented. If you're listening <laughs> yeah, on Spotify, there's a link to a poll in the episode description. Let us know who you think told the most compelling story. You can't vote for Mark Carter Graves. But I'm you sorry. can if you have his cell phone number, which I'm not going to give out. <laughs> yeah, so you can text him and say, I vote Mark. Yes. <laughs> this is new t-shirts. <laughs> Um, voting for all episodes will remain so open for a couple more weeks before we announce the season one champions. Uh, on behalf of the whole matchup team, we want to thank you for listening. It has been very rewarding for us to be able to gather and have these conversations that we get to include you in. The response to the season has been so great, and we are so excited to begin planning season two after a nice little break. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amen. I also want to personally thank the matchup team, all of the amazing contributors to this uh, this first season, the wonderful Episcopal Church that we get to be a part of, and my amazing husband, Chris Martin, who volunteers his time as our sound engineer. Aww. Thank you, everybody. Aww. Please continue to like, listen, follow, and subscribe. If you enjoyed season one, be sure and let us know. Keep an eye out for some special one-off episodes this summer, and we will see you next season. Thanks, everybody, for listening. See you later. Bye. <laughs>